Sign up for the banking app that does more than just send and receive money. Eurocash is the online bank tailored to deliver financial services designed for black families, black businesses, and black communities. If you want to get rich, go alone. If you want to build wealth, go with Oro. For more than 40 years, historically black colleges and universities congregated in New York City for the New York Urban League Classic. This was one of a number of HBCU classics, which can be compared to bowl games for PWIs. You know, PWIs, predominantly white schools. The New York Urban League Classic went on to be named after World War II veteran, civil rights activist, and head of the National Urban League, Whitney M. Young. For decades, student-athletes from schools like Grambling, Hampton, Morgan State, and Howard faced off at classic stadiums Yankees and Shea until eventually the Whitney M. Young Memorial Classic became so big it had to be moved to the Meadowlands in New Jersey. But unfortunately, in 2016, that tradition came to an end until this fall. Welcome to Captains and Majors. I'm your host, Fred Bugsy Bugs. And on Saturday, September 17th, HBCU football returns to New York City for the HBCU New York Football Classic. Howard University and Morehouse College are going head-to-head on the gridiron for the first time since 2016 in an NFL football stadium in America's largest city. Howard and Morehouse are two of the most prominent historically black colleges and universities in the country, as well as two of the most prestigious colleges in the world. The history of America has been written by alumni of these institutions. Allow Dr. Dave Rice, who attended both Morehouse College and Howard University, to explain the significance of HBCUs. Well, the significance of historically black colleges and universities has been consistent and persistent. I think that popular culture attention to has has been cyclical. So it's waxed and it's waned. And so when I was in college, I'm, you know, I was in, I was in school in undergrad from 91 to 95. Uh, that was golden era hip hop. That was when popular culture, you had a different world that was out there. You had Spike Lee school days. You had Robert Townsend. You had all of these, uh, Maddie Rich. You had, uh, Ernest Dickerson and Juice. You had Marvin Peoples. You had all of these artistic expressions of blackness and historically black colleges and universities fit into that uh milieu right so it 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 appropriately fit into kind of the culture at the time as as hip-hop found different types of cycles and footing and placement uh particularly within popular culture in mass and with white folk and white culture you saw there being uh, a distance from uh, those spaces you had folks who were coming out of the era of golden era hip-hop who were still able to be and find footing in mainstream 
who oftentimes reference historically black colleges and universities and and Howard University being the premier historically black college and university consistently had kind of name recognition, right? So either you had, you know, notables who were graduating from those institutions, whether it be Andrew Young or Chadwick Bozeman, right? Or the Allen sisters, you had individuals that were, you know, signifiers of the institution within popular culture that you were able to point to. So Nicole Hannah-Jones being at uh, at Howard University and stepping away from UNC Chapel Hill because of the fundamental disrespect that was visited on her um, is, is significant. Having Jelani Cobb, who's a graduate of Howard University, just assume deanship at Columbia's Graduate School of Journalism, that's significant. Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote Between the World and Me and was you know a different expression of uh, a James Baldwin cutting his teeth at Howard University is significant. Sean Combs being at Howard University is significant. Again, you have these individuals who are within popular cultural spaces, who are in the mainstream, and who are signifying by and through the experiences that they had in uh, being raised by historically Black colleges and universities. So uh, again, the, the, the importance and the significance of HBCUs has been steadfast, significant, and even popular culture's recognition of it, you know, waxes and wanes oftentimes dependent on kind of the, the cultural goings on of the time. But in terms of the folks who come from those institutions, the stories and the significance of those institutions has been center of gravity for some time. Dr. David Wall Rice is a professor of psychology at Morehouse College who spent his undergrad at Morehouse and received his doctorate from Howard. Before we dive into football and the HBCU New York Football Classic, allow Dr. Rice to explain some differences and similarities between the two schools. So when asking about the distinction between, you know, Morehouse College and Howard University, the easiest distinction and reveal uh, between the two is that Morehouse College is a college. I mean, it's a small liberal arts institution, um, you know, uh, just over 2,000 uh, students who go there. And Howard University is a large university that has colleges uh, that, that comprise it. Um, of course, there is also a similarity because Morehouse College is part of the largest conglomerate of historically black colleges and universities uh, being a part of the Atlanta University Center, which of course includes Spelman College and Clark Atlanta, Morris Brown, Morehouse School of Medicine and the like. The similarities are, I think, aligned with, with mission. You know, the idea is that uh, being a part of the HBCU uh, tradition, the, the work that I resonate toward mostly, that I know uh, runs a thread through all of HBC HBCUs is uh, freedom work. This idea of being mission driven and doing work and getting an education that is predicated on being involved with service to others. So those are the similarities. But Howard's, you know, larger. It's in D.C. Morehouse is smaller, you know, by count and, and, and is in Atlanta. So there are different, you know, sensibilities that occur there. But, you know, those are those are the differences and the similarities. But the things that I have seen similar in, in being educated in, in both places is again, Again, this 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 attachment to uh, to freedom work and a responsibility to community, the black community uh, specifically, but also the larger community writ large, because we know that if we're able to negotiate and, and make successful the most marginalized among us, which oftentimes people of color are, are defined as and, 
in you know our margins into which we are pushed. If we are able to solve issues and figure out things among ourselves, then it, it portends a success for the larger community and the body politic. Obviously, both of these schools are top-of-the-line institutions that have produced some of the brightest minds in American history. In that respect, they are comparable. But when it comes to football, Howard may have the advantage. Howard and Morehouse have faced each other on the football field 37 times, dating back to 1923, and won 25 of those 37 meetings. The teams last met in 2015 as Howard claimed a 25-17 victory at RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C. But Howard is excited to reignite this unique rivalry on an NFL field. My name is Darian Brokenberg. I'm a defensive end at Howard University, and I'm a senior. I mean, I'm excited to reignite any rivalry if there is one. So, I mean, it, I, I mean, you know, anytime you can start a rivalry, you know the atmosphere rivalries bring. So, you know, we, you're always excited to play in those games. Quentin Williams, I'm quarterback. I'm a senior in the classroom. This is really a dream come true, uh, just to play in that, that type of arena and that stadium. And then just I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be in that game and be a part of that classic game. Us, us versus Morehouse, just to see some good football between two um, schools who are known for uh, academics coming together to play football. So that's um, I'm just excited to be a part of the game and just to revive that rivalry between the two uh, teams. Hopefully we can keep it going in the future. But um, like I said, I'm excited for what's to come between this matchup this year. The rivalry between Howard and Morehouse is not your typical rivalry. The two schools are not screaming curse words at one another. You just heard the starting quarterback and defensive lineman use very respectful and measured language when talking about one another. This is a rare rivalry, revolving almost entirely around respect. Howard and Morehouse both have a deep sense of unity and respect for one another that you will not find between other institutions. Not one of over 50 people interviewed from Morehouse or Howard had a single negative thing to say about one another. Meanwhile, if you ask a Duke fan about North Carolina or an Ohio State fan about Michigan, I bet the second person you talk to, you'll hear this and them. Let Dr. Rice explain the connection between the two schools dating back to the 90s. Must have been my sophomore year. My sophomore year, so that must have been in 92, Howard came to Morehouse and played on our campus, right? And that was amazing. There's a rivalry, but there's also the brother and sisterhood that exists. So the thing that's so dope about it is you get to talk mad trash, but you get to be with your brothers and sisters from whatever institutions that they're from. So having them come and be on our campus uh, was something that was significant. And then I remember there was a game at, in, you know, in DC. And I think this was, this must have been at RFK State. That was huge. So we were, we were in DC at RFK Stadium. And the thing that was amazing about that. Um, even more so than when they came, uh, when Howard came to Morehouse was because it was so large and because it was so grand, you saw everyone. And so it's not just a celebration of athleticism, obviously, or it's not just a celebration of black intelligentsia. You see that it's a celebration of, of black culture. You saw everybody at that game. There were notable music artists who were there, but you know, I remember there were Marlon Wayans was, you know, in living color was huge then. And so seeing him and, and he had gone to, I think he might have still been in classes at Howard at the time. So him being there and then you see artists and things like that. So the dope thing is that you get to see how it is that your education is respected and is affirmed by the individuals who are showing up at these games, you know, so there's respect given. And so that was something that was that was really special, uh, you know, during during those formative years of mine. 
HBCU sports live outside the popular understanding of sports. We've heard the term bigger than sports thrown around a lot lately, like when Kaepernick kneeled or when the Milwaukee Bucks refused to play in their playoff game after Jacob Blake was killed in Kenosha, Wisconsin. HBCU students have more in common with one another as young black people than they have differences as students attending different schools. Howard Athletic Director Kerry Davis spoke on the effect of 2020 in bringing more attention to HBCUs. I think it's I think it's a number of factors. One, I don't think, and 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 I don't want to to uh, over or undersell this, uh, but the summer of 2020, uh, I think, had to be a huge part uh, of the 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 country recognizing some of the things that we have been talking about uh, for years. You know, I look back at Colin Kaepernick and the stand that he took. Uh, by kneeling, I say stand and kneeling at the same time, but accurate. <laughs> but the stand that he took by kneeling during the national anthem, uh, I felt most of the country had, you know, besides the fact they thought it was quote unquote disrespectful, I thought most of the country had no idea really what that that there was even an issue. And the summer of 2020, I think, demonstrated to all of America as we as 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 we watched a young man basically uh, died on video uh, for no reason at all. Um, I, I think that I think that that brought the attention to civil rights, social injustice, et cetera. Um, one of the things that have then I think grew out of that was that HBCUs and its uh, graduates and alumni and students, have been a part of the social move, have been a leading part of the social movement uh, for years. And all of a sudden, people now were willing to listen to those voices, were willing to acknowledge the importance of the education that young people are getting at these HBCUs. Right? And so to me, right, it started in the summer of 2020, but I think it was also rising well before that. Uh, many schools were looking to make their marks, if you will, uh, the school I sit at at Howard University, uh, when I when I started back in 2016, at the end of 2015, but 2016 generally, the, you know, the president Frederick Wayne Frederick and I talked about right how do we bring Howard athletics to the forefront so that it could be a driving force for for increased amplifying the the story of our university. We have rich stories and we need to tell them. How can athletics help us do that? And so one of the things that we set out to do was play big games, play, get, get on play classics where we have national television coverage and play, play games in huge media markets, right? To, uh, put together events. And that's what we've done. We've created all kinds of events in classics uh, and opportunities for us to tell not just the, the story of our athletes or our athletic department, but the story of the entire university. And September 17th game against Morehouse at MetLife Stadium is probably only the most recent example. And now WBLS's Unique Chapman for a quick two-minute drill of Black football history. Black 
American football as we know it was invented just four years after the Civil War and spread throughout the country's elite white universities throughout the Reconstruction era. The white history of American football began when there was only 37 states in the Union and on the backs of guys named Walter Camp and Pop Warner. But when did black football begin? December 27, 1892, in Salisbury, North Carolina, a town at the time that had a population of about 4,000 people, specifically at Livingston College, which was the first college in all of North Carolina to grant black women with college degrees, just five years before in 1887. Players from Biddle College, which is now Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte, North Carolina, traveled more than 40 miles in the winter by horse and buggy to Livingston College in Salisbury, North Carolina to play the first black college football game ever on Livingston's snowy front lawn. The uniforms worn by both teams were created by women who attended Livingston's industrial department. Their cleats were modified street shoes, and both teams had to save up money to purchase a real regulation football. The story of the first black college football game is a story of young people making history on their own terms without anyone else's permission. Consider the racial politics of 1892. This was four years before Plessy versus Ferguson codified segregation into law. This predates the Supreme Court's codifying separate but equal, which wouldn't be overturned until 1954 by Brown versus the Board of Education. Biddle ended up losing to Livingston by a score of five to nothing on one lone touchdown scored on a fumble recovery by Livingston's manager, W.J. Trent. A few of the players from the first black college football game were J.W. Walker, W.J. Trent, R.J. Rencher, Henry Rives, J.R. Dillard, Wade Hampton, Charles H. Patrick, J.J. Teller, and H.F. Cummings. They were the pioneers of what is now the biggest sport in America, and they should be remembered accordingly. My name is Unique, and that was our two-minute drill of black football history. The Howard Bison have been playing football since 1893. The team began as an independent organization until 1912 when they joined Hampton, Lincoln, Shaw, and Virginia Union Universities in the newly formed Central Collegiate Athletic Association. Eventually, Howard would go on to be founding members of the Mid-Eastern Atlantic Conference alongside five other schools where they still reside. The Howard Bison have been playing collegiate football for 130 years, but have won less than 10 total championships. With revitalized popular interest and heavier investments in athletics, they're hoping to change the perception of Howard football. Everyone from the head coach to the equipment manager has some skin in the game. Van Dyke Jones, um, I'm the director of equipment for the whole athletic department. So I handle basically the day-to-day operations and goings-ons with the equipment for football and all other sports as well. People care. Um, the investment's going up. Um, schools are having to be invested. People are invested and they actually want to be a part of and they see what's the shortcomings that they were. And there's still some that are and they're still trying to make it move forward. For us, an example, we have new shoulder pads, helmets, um, all the best in the line, your X-Tex, Douglas Pro Gears. We're going to have some Axiom helmets 
your different F7s, just everything that the Power Five in normal schools that you look, you would look and say that HBCU doesn't have. They only have this. They don't have that. We have that those items here. Just that culture being brought forward for everybody to see that we are just as equal and just as good as everybody else. Um, it wasn't in their for it wasn't in their face. Um, in light of all the social injustice and everything, and a lot of the athletes are deciding that HBCUs is where they want to come and play. That just puts the spotlight on the HBCU so that, therefore, why do they deserve less? They deserve just as much as a PWI, as a Power Five, especially if you're at one of these great institutions that can afford it, which has been one of the major issues that, been, that has been changed now that these schools can afford and pay for some of the nicer things that they didn't have previously. Howard University and Jordan Brand inked a 20-year partnership in early August. Jordan and Nike were going to be one of the few schools that is direct with them. So we're no more BSN, no more third-party ordering. We're going to be directly re- dealing with reps and those representatives and getting things and having retros and all that at our school. The same type of deals that these Power Fives in Oklahoma's. So we'll be like one of, I want to say, six one of six that have football that is in Jordan. Um, so it'll be, it'll be nice, and it's just a whole culture change for our athletic department. As soon as you tell a kid, hey, we're about to go to Jordan, everybody goes crazy. It's basically putting a battery in my back as an equipment manager. I mean, I was once a former student athlete myself, and just knowing that a major brand is trying to invest in your athletic department is huge. And it just shows, like I kind of said, mentioned, but the um, care for the HBCUs and how much Jordan wants to be a part of our HBCU and wants to move the culture forward. That's just something that you don't see that often, and it's just that's awesome for our student-athletes, our department, and our university. On top of the partnership with Howard University, Michael Jordan and the Jordan brand has a $100 million commitment to the black community to support organizations fighting for systematic change in America. The Jordan brand will be seen on Howard Athletes, as well as their famous Showtime marching band. The partnership spans across athletics, clubs, academics, and merchandise. Beyond the pressure that comes with general perception of HBCU athletics, strong safety for the Bison's Kenny Gallo Jr. puts it candidly. Uh, my name is Kenny Gallo Jr. I'm strong safety, I'm number zero, and I'm a sophomore. Uh, first of all, Howard was my first scholarship. Um, they gave me my first opportunity to play college football. Uh, you know, it was a great school, you know, great academics, you know, D.C., a nice atmosphere. And I just really thought about the 40-year decision instead of four, you know what I'm saying? So I know a, a great, you know, a, um, degree from Howard University, you know, it stands out a little more than, you know, a normal degree. So I couldn't turn it down. Uh, I major in health science. So I'm a health, health science major and things like that. Like, I want to, like, really, like, stay, like, the bodies of movement and things like that. So I, to be honest, like, I feel like, like a lot of guys can be book smart, but then it's like, I don't think it got nothing to do with the football field. But, I mean, it, it kind of helps, you know. Like, I would say that, you know, a lot of teams, you don't think that we just straight, like, nerds, you know what I'm saying? We want to show that, you know, this year we're going to show that we're just not nerds and that we tough guys too, you know what I'm saying? So we're going to go out there and play hard on the football field. Do, do you think people call you a nerd? I think people do. Like, when they think of Howard, they think, oh, it's a smart school. They don't think of the football team, but we're here to change that. You feel me? So that's what we're going to do this year. Gallo has a point. Howard has about a 39% acceptance rate. And compare that to a school like Alabama, who accepts about 80% of applicants. On top of that, Alabama has more than triple the amount of students Howard has. So in many ways, prestigious schools like Howard with smaller class sizes and stricter academics are at a disadvantage in both funding and athletics. Howard's athletic director explains what it's going to take to bring HBCUs back to the forefront of college sports. The the greatest wide receiver in the history of our game, right, was playing in Mississippi Valley. He wasn't playing at, you know, Alabama or Ohio State or Michigan. Right. Uh, and that's in our lifetime, or at least it's in mine. 
right? So, you know, the you can't talk about the history of the NFL without talking about the greats that came out of HBCU colleges. And I could go, I could give you 20 names of Hall of Famers, right? Uh, from Harry Carson to a guy to, to Tall Jones. I mean, there were so many that came out of our, that came out of HBCU culture background. Uh, it was, uh, it, it was amazing. And so that history, you know, now that, you know, PWIs now have, you know, now we're fully integrated, obviously, and now PWIs also have the ability, uh, you know, it is now turned completely around the other direction. You know, Grambling had such a rich tradition, for example, in football with uh, Coach Robinson. That tradition is something that I don't know we'll ever match again. Right? And the fact that we're now completely integrated, HBCUs now have an opportunity to maybe turn this wheel back. And certainly coaches like Deion Sanders uh, and what he's doing at Jackson State or what I think our coach Larry Scott is doing at Howard is giving these students an opportunity and to look back and say, OK, we've had a rich history here um, and we can go back to that history. We don't have to be ashamed. Football at HBCU levels has 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 been great and we can be great again. It's just a question sometimes of leveling up the facilities. But in terms of the stature, the history of it is is equal to any schools in any schools in the country. But the Howard Bisons want you to know that they are ready to compete. So my name is Lucas Lopez. I'm the director of strength conditioning with Howard University. Man, don't be surprised when it happens. I am we're working to keep it, but it's coming. It's coming. I'm Brandon Torrey. I'm the offensive line coach. There are high expectations this season. I'm going to leave it at that. Leave it at that. Just stay tuned for what's coming this year. A big year on the rise. And is there anything people should know about Howard football? We're here, and we're ready to show you what we can do. All right, well, I appreciate you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. I feel like that I got like, a lot of proof. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just going to doubt, you know, um, take away all the doubters and things like that. And I'm just going to go out there and play hard every single play. Is there anything you think people should know about Howard football, lastly? Um, just know that we're coming. You know what I'm saying? We're definitely coming. Our coaching, everybody, we're coming. And we're ready to make some noise this year. Larry Scott, head coach here at Howard. Uh, that look out. It's a different brand of football. It's a different style. Uh, it's more prideful about who we are and what we're doing here. Um, and uh, don't sleep on us. The Howard football team are not the only Howard team competing in the HBCU New York Football Classic. Kelvin Washington, director of bands at Howard University. Well, according to us band folks, there is no football game. It's always a great band competition. We always look forward into uh, competitive good sportsmanship with other band programs, even though it's a football game. You know, uh, amongst HBCU bands, we have convinced ourselves that everyone comes to the football game to actually see the band. And we kind of live and die by that, and we've all bought into it. So we are... I would say just competitive as the football team on the field. In next week's episode, we'll be looking at the role that marching bands play on an HBCU campus, as well as the relationship between the Howard Bison football team and the Showtime marching band. I'm Fred Bugsy Bugs. Hope you enjoyed it. 
A special thank you goes out to Unique Chapman for the two-minute drill, Howard University and producer and writer Jason Peters. This is Captains and Majors. We'll see you next week. Sign up for the banking app that does more than just send and receive money. AuroCash is the online bank tailored to deliver financial services designed for black families, black businesses, and black communities. If you want to get rich, go alone. If you want to build wealth, go with Oro. 